Welcome to the RM Williams Outback Podcast. This is Terry Cowley, Associate Editor of RM Williams Outback Magazine. The creation of the Australian stock saddle was quite the wild ride. Dubbed the armchair of the bush, its long flaps, wide dished seat, distinctive mustard yellow or royal blue serge underlining and bold knee pads screamed made in Australia. Fiona Carruthers has just written a beautiful book. It is called The Story of the Australian Stock Saddle. It's actually called Wild Ride. And Fiona said piecing together the evolution of the Australian Stock Saddle was like retrieving leather offcuts from the workshop floor. Hello, Fiona. Hi, Terry. Lovely to be with you. Thank you for your time today. When does the story of our stock saddle begin? Saddles, of course, you know, the old, probably most likely the old English style riding saddles, they came in on the first fleet. They had just a handful of horses and a handful of saddles. And um, look, it's just intriguing. It's it's very tricky uh, because so much was going on right across the country. It wasn't, you know, always really well documented. But as much as the principal researcher, Janice Gifford, and I could ascertain, you really start to see a markedly different saddle evolving here uh, from, we would think, from about the mid-1800s, if, if not even slightly earlier than that. And you have photos from, you know, happening from around about the 1870s where you can actually see a horse saddled with with the saddle with the big knee pads um you know sticking up uh where the old um sort of little swell they used to call it at the front of the english riding saddle would have been and the knee pads are really something that really distinguishes the australian stock saddle they are i just found it fascinating and um People who pick up the book uh, luckily sort of see the same story that um, those of us working on it saw, that it's it, it tells the story of the bush and it really tells how, you know, the, the early settlers, the white settlers, we should say, of course, um, the Indigenous people were here and doing quite nicely, but horses arrive uh, along with other hooved animals, the first hooved animals to, to tread um, you know, this continent. And immediately the white settlers realise their saddles are just simply not fit for purpose, that you cannot sit in that saddle. They used to call them the old frying pan seats. They were very flat. You know, you try riding in that for longer than five hours. In England, you have to remember, it was much more settled by then. It wasn't such a big country. I think you quoted New South Wales saddler and former bronc rider Dave Rogan as saying, a light English saddle was basically suicide in the Australian bush. That's right. So they had, you know, everyone began uh, trying to adapt their saddles, madly adapting their saddles. Even if you weren't a qualified saddler, you were, you know, getting out the needle and thread at night and trying to sew big knee pads on, which would prevent the rider tipping forward. You know, when you're galloping through scrub, you want to feel really secure in your seat. So as I was sort of alluding to before, you want to be comfortable because you could be in that saddle for 12 hours, easy. And the fact that they were yeah. designed to be kind on a horse's back is a, is a good thing. That's right. That's right. So they, they maximised, they, they built the underside of the saddle up. They really built that up. And then you would counterline your saddle as it wore down, as the stuffing wore down. 
they wanted to maximise the airflow and to really evenly distribute the weight for the rider and for the horse. You know, obviously it's better to, to carry your load as well distributed on your back as possible and with your backbone free to move and flex and getting as much air underneath that saddle as possible, yeah. So you were backed in this project by Victorian horse owner and developer Michael Drapak and he has something like 200 of these saddles. Amazing. He does. Well, actually, I think Janice and her husband, the the saddler, Tony Gifford, they have a lot of them now. And I've got a couple. I'm lucky enough to have scored a couple. But yeah, it's it's really magical what, what Michael's done. He's he's protected this incredibly important piece of Australian history that, you know, really helps tell the bigger story of the bush and everything that went on there really began to reflect your status here. Convicts, emancipists could afford to ride in these saddles, Indigenous work. Uh, stock workers who were very poorly paid and badly treated, of course, but, you know, a saddle would often become quite possibly the first sort of real material possession they'd ever owned. So these saddles are just fascinating and they just sort of tap into pockets of history everywhere. And Michael went through over the past decade and, you know, really extraordinary um, contribution to Australia that he has bought up and put in one place as many of uh, these these saddles as he possibly could. So Fiona, can you tell me about the man that RM Williams described as the father of the Australian stock saddle, Jack Winnicky? Yes, Terry. Jack Winnicky's a fascinating character. Jack was born February 1863 in the shelter of a bullock dray on the road between Dalby and Roma. He sort of grew up just, uh, you know, surrounded by horses and leather craft and had a deep knowledge of it from his teenage years. And he then won a, a, a running race. They were a very athletic, acrobatic family. And he won a running race and with the winnings, which was really pretty impressive, um, 150 pounds back in 1885, he bought a saddlery in Roma that he worked out of for most of his life. So he was only about, you know, in his very early 20s when he started the saddlery. And he was a a brilliant um, bush marketer. He knew how to market his saddles. He was a a wonderful rider. He he rode the bronc riding circuit, as it was called in those days. He used his own saddles. People were impressed by his his horsemanship. And um, pretty soon, there's a a lovely catalogue poster in the book, the cry would go up, you know, out bush, another Winnicky wanted, uh, you know, often in the Territory in Queensland particularly, but everywhere that were breaking, you know, up to a thousand horses a day, uh, really busting up the gear. And so, you know, you would need another saddle. So the, the Winnicky saddles just became hugely popular. I mean, they were just unrivaled, really until the early 1900s and when RM Williams started his company in the early 1930s and of course he he loved to stock you know the best of of sort of bush gear in category as it were so uh, you know, he, you know dollar mick and the boots that the pair of them invented and um, brilliant whips that you know he knew that the whip makers out bush and he went for a, a winicky saddles and stocked them for years until sort of developing more of an R.M. Williams line with the Longhorn and and those type of saddles. But um, I think what was most interesting to me in the book is that, you know, we've categorically proven that Jack Winnicky, while 
a master saddler, didn't actually invent the saddle style. It was well underway, the development of this saddle style with the very distinctive knee pads and the big dish seat and the longer, wider flaps was well underway before Winnicky came along. Certainly he put his stamp on it and his saddle sold like hotcakes and everybody wanted one. But yeah, and the outlaw master, I should say, Winnicky's outlaw master saddle was what really kind of um, got him started. But he's certainly maybe a father, but not the only father of the Australian stock saddle. Yeah, in fact, you note original documents show that hundreds, if not thousands of saddlers worked working primarily in Australia and England uh, contributed. And it was interesting that in England, they were mainly in the old trades town of Walsall, West Midlands County. So it's it's a team effort, I suppose you could say. It is. And shout out to the women who um, anonymously were, were doing a lot of this work. Um, a lot of the old saddlers, God love them, they, you know, who the last of the generation to come up through the apprenticeships, particularly Dennis Jackson, who I interviewed just before he sadly passed away in 2021. He'd had a long battle with cancer and he quite rightly, you know, wanted it pointed out in the book that he, you know, they didn't think about it back in the day, but he says looking back, it was outrageous. And he mentioned a couple of women I name in the book. And he said they were the best stitchers at Amalgamated where he did his apprenticeship. But not only were women not allowed to stitch saddles, and you know, this is in the 50s and early 60s, but they were not ever given any credit for their work, even the bridles and the um, sort of breastplates and the martingales. Sounds a little bit familiar, Fiona, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> it is really disappointing. And and also Indigenous workers as well. A lot of them were, you know, darning away and making improvements and tweaks in saddles and they didn't get much of a look in in the history books either. <laughs> so so this, this saddle really is a bit of a triumph of simple, honest bushcraft and was was really a symbol of, of became a bit of a symbol of national pride, didn't it? Get into a new Ram today. It's America's best truck brand five years running, according to US News and World Report. With unrivaled Hemi V8 power, you'll understand why Ram is dominating the competition year after year. And with Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks, Ram eats everything else for breakfast. See your Ram dealer or visit ramtrucks.com.au and get into America's best truck brand today. Ram, enough said. And I guess on that note, we could fast forward to 1981. Tell me about the significant thing that happened then with a Sid Hill Suprema super drafter. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful image that. And people of my vintage, I'll still remember I was horse mad growing up in Sydney, a young girl, and I remember my dad slamming the newspaper down on the kitchen table and saying, well, there you go. And I, I pinched his line, my dear old dad passed away last year, but he, he slammed it down and said, there you go, an Australian stock saddle's made it to the highest office in the world. And I, I never forgot that image um, when you had Malcolm Fraser gift a, a magnificent Australian stock saddle to Ronald Reagan, the two you know, of his uh, respective country leaders of the day, Malcolm Fraser, of course, the Prime Minister of Australia, and Ronald Reagan, the um, Republican President of America. And both just happened to be really keen horsemen. I think if memory serves me correctly, they went on a ride during Fraser's visit at um Reagan's Ranch. And I just love about this photo. It's, you know, it's easy for people to access. If you just sort of Google it, it comes up. It was 
such a it's such a joyous photo. You know, as everyone involved in the book said, you we have it right up the front of the book. You can really see the genuine appreciation on these, you know, leaders' faces that they're just. They're there, you know, to to talk politics and and world trade, but you can just see this this very genuine moment where they're just appreciating this article, this great piece of bushcraft of leathercraft. They're just really appreciating how beautiful this saddle is, and it made me wonder if anyone wants out there wants to um to try and get to the bottom of it. It made me wonder where that saddle's ended up, where it actually Good is. Good question. Now. Good question. Mm. We might have somebody coming forward. You never know. I wonder if it's still in the family or, you know, in the White House archives somewhere. Probably. Yeah. Probably. But it was a gift on the on the part of, you know, it's, it's common they still do it these days. It was a gift that the then Australian Prime Minister took on behalf of the Australian people. So both were, were horse lovers, but I think really special that he chose an Australian stock saddle back in 1981. Now, Fiona, we can't, of course, do justice to the whole story of the Australian stock saddle in this quick chat because um, and really if you do want that, you need to get Fiona's book. It is a, it's a lovely tome. It feels lovely in your hands. It's got a really nice texture to it. It's, it's well written. It's got great pictures and illustrations, but uh, possibly a little bit self-servingly, I must uh, perhaps we could finish with the R.M. Williams connection in all this. Of course, because it's so important, Terry, and I'm just so thrilled you enjoyed it. Thanks for the big shout out. Um, I mean, look, yeah, of course, it, we have some beautiful uh, covers too. That one, you know, as I keep saying, we have a lovely old the Queenslander. We have some hoofs and horns, particularly beautiful cover illustration by the great Kathleen Elizabeth Edkins, uh, C.E. Edkins, who was one of the very few female illustrators, you know, who, who would have landed a, a hoofs and horns cover back in the day. And of course, all the beautiful photographs by Keith Stevens. And the very, very special um, R.M. Williams saddles and, uh, you know, I mean, his his leathercraft, of course, was incredible and uh, some of his, his pieces still continue today. R.M. Williams created among the most enduring stock saddles on the market, didn't he, including the Longhorn, Colt, Poly and Gooseneck Poly. Examples of all three styles are, of course, contained in the Drapak collection. Collection, he did, yeah. There's some really lovely detail too from a Longhorn made in 1947 in the book. And yes, we've, you know, as you say, the, the Colt, Drapak has in his collection a Colt poly that dates to the 1960s and same for the Gooseneck poly. And, um, you know, just the, the texture on the leather, the patina from, you know, they've been, these saddles have obviously been ridden in for years and years. And I sort of love that, you know, saddles too had a certain, as I um, spoke about before a certain sort of class hierarchy to them, um, which we would find sort of quite amusing today. But of course, you would buy if you were a big landowner, you like Kidman, you would buy your um, overseer and, or your manager a very different saddle, probably an R. M. Williams, to what you would buy your sort of most lowly teenage stock worker, you know, who just joined the droving team. But these saddles, you know, you you could just sort of saddle up and ride in them today, even though. So, you know, many of the, the saddles in the Drapak collection are getting on for 100 years. But, yeah, certainly the Aaron Williams saddles, like all the Aaron Williams gear, not only incredibly functional but particularly beautifully made of 
sort of the best quality leather of the day, which back then, of course, was all Australian leather. Uh, we, we used to have sort of thousands, really, tanneries right across the nation. And the leather was so prized because there were not many fences. So you didn't have many nicks and cuts in, in the leather that many of the saddlers were using. Um, and certainly, too, that, yeah, the arm was beautifully sourced suede and, and leather on those saddles. And, of course, some of those leather work conditions continue today in our workshop with some of our amazing staff who have been there for decades. So it's good mm. to know that some of these things continue. And as you say, the, the saddle, it was fit for purpose then. It's fit for, fit for purpose now. Some things just can't be improved on, can they? No, no. <laughs> yeah, they still make tweaks. And of course, these days we have a, a lot of what they call the hybrid or the, the swinging fender. Aaron Williams would have said, traditional Australian stock saddle, they're not traditional Australian stock saddles. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's evolving in a different direction, shall we say, yeah. Fiona, I think we will leave it there. As I said, we can't do justice to the whole story, but uh, obviously that is encapsulated in your book. Wouldn't it be wonderful to think in the vein that so many rural and regional people out there on the land love listening to podcasts because they might be stuck in a in a harvester or a header or whatever, or they might actually be sitting on an Australian stock saddle listening to us right now as they're doing something. Wouldn't that be a, a nice thought? I hope so. Just make sure they go home and oil it really well. There's lots of good <laughs> advice in this book too about all these saddlers' top tips for oiling. Don't don't kill them with kindness was my main takeaway. <laughs> Good to know, Fiona. Well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great talking to Fiona Carruthers. She is the author of Wild Ride, the story of the Australian stock saddle. I'm Terry Cowley. I'm the associate editor of RM Williams Outback magazine. Thank you so much for listening. the time to upgrade to a new Ram truck. With unrivaled Hemi V8 power and a max brake towing capacity of up to four and a half tonnes. With quick delivery available right now, you can get behind the wheel of a new Ram faster than ever. Stocks are limited so see your Ram dealer or visit ramtrucks.com.au today. Ram eats everything else for breakfast. Stock and delivery times vary by model and dealer. (laughs) 